Good morning. This is our first uh, kind of rainy, almost rainy service, and it's great to see uh, all of you. Uh, we are journeying through the book of Genesis, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 21, and I'm going to be reading from there. I'm going to move these over a little bit, so I'm Genesis 21, and I'm going to read from verses 1 through 7, and, uh, and we'll go from there. I'm, I'm just jumping right in. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So this chapter is taking up a theme and one thing you're going to experience as you go through the book of Genesis is it keeps coming back to certain themes. And for some of us, that's going to be a little bit, that's going to feel boring or repetitive, but in a lot of ways, it's actually pretty exciting because I think we need repetition for us to remember. That's the first thing I'd say. Second, it's not always obvious what these things are. And I know at least one life group leader has told me as we've gone, as we, as our life groups are also going through Genesis and following, well, we follow the life groups. Uh, was kind of complaining that sometimes it's not easy to tell what the application is. In fact, it's not easy to tell what the application is from a given chapter or passage. Um, and I would also, and I would agree with that. The Bible is not easy to interpret, and Genesis is not easy to interpret. And so um, we're going to do our best. I'm going to do my best today to make sense of what this passage means in light of what God is doing. But I hope to repeat over and over, there are certain themes. And so you can always be able to see certain themes that repeat themselves throughout these throughout Genesis. And one of them is this idea of covenant and promise. And we're going to go back to this idea again. It's going to, we're going to keep on repeating this idea of covenant and promise. And here, what we've just read is God has made a promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And he's promised to make them into a great nation. And he's given more details about that promise um, progressively throughout the chapters. Um, and one of the specific promises was, Sarah, you will have a son who was born from you. At 90 years old, you will have a son. And now after decades, that promise has been fulfilled. And the name of Isaac means laughter. And before in Genesis 16, Sarah was laughing out of disbelief and how absurd it was. And now she's still laughing at how, at how absurd it is that it came true. Okay, she's not laughing out of disbelief. Well, she's laughing out of disbelief what actually happened. So it's still, it's still disbelief, but it's on the other side. It, this, this has become reality. And this is the way God works is that he surprises us in all kinds of marvelous ways. And, in, and it also indicates to us that God fulfills his promises. God does what he promises. He is a God, he's a covenant keeping God who fulfills his promise, that's who he is. 
And so whenever we talk about, uh, you know, the nature of who God is, what's important is to recognize this is a characteristic of God that we need to continually remind ourselves that he is a promise keeping God. He is a God who remembers his covenant and keeps it. And so that's kind of the first thing I'd say. Um, but the plot kind of turns from here. I'm going to keep reading in verse eight through 14. And there's a different kind of laughter. Now you'll always hear these different ideas repeated, but they're not repeated in the exact same way. Now in verse eight, it says, and the child grew, that's Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So you get laughter when Isaac is born. And now you get laughter again, except this is a different kind of laughter. This is not a happy laughter. This is, in some of your translations, it will say uh, that Ishmael was mocking Isaac. Okay, was mocking Isaac. And to review, Ishmael is the son of Hagar the Egyptian, who is Sarah's maidservant. And when they couldn't have children, there was still a promise that Abraham was going to become a great nation, and Sarah could not have children. And so Sarah decided to give her maidservant to uh, Abraham to sleep with her in order to have kids, and they have Ishmael. And now, 14 years later, Ishmael is a teenager, and now we are seeing the results, the consequences of a decision made years ago. And so the first thing I would observe is that God, well, maybe it's an interpretation, that God allows us, this is interpretation, God allows us the consequences of our decisions, including decisions that, that were not made in faith. And so for the last 14 years, well, Hagar actually ran away from Sarah 14 years ago while she was pregnant with Ishmael and God commands her to go back. And so for the last 14 years, Hagar and Ishmael have grown up alongside Abraham. And now Abraham is being told by Sarah, first of all, and then God, that he has to get rid of the maidservant, Hagar, and Ishmael. Okay, he has to surrender. And what's ironic here is that there's laughter. And so laughter, again, what Sarah said, everything Sarah says in this passage is true. There will be laughter over her, except that laughter isn't always going to be fun or delightful. And in this case, Ishmael is laughing, is mocking Isaac. And we don't know exactly why. There might have been some jealousy. We also know that the uh, 
uh, characteristic of Hagar was that she was rebellious and, and perhaps arrogant because she had contempt of Sarah. So we can imagine that perhaps this son also had some contempt for Isaac. We also know that the prophecy about Ishmael is that he doesn't get along with other people and that as a nation, he doesn't get along with other people. So we are getting some taste of the fact of how he doesn't get along with people by the way he's making fun of Isaac here. But again, Sarah's, the meaning of Isaac's name is still true. He's going to have laughter because of how absurd his birth is, but he's also going to have laughter because of Ishmael's contempt. And the net is, Sarah says, and I'll just, I'll just repeat it. Sarah says, cast out the slave woman for her, for, with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. The other reality of Ishmael is that a promise has been made for Abraham to have descendants and to be this, this promised line and for those descendants to inherit the land. Now, the unfortunate reality that Abraham has known about is Ishmael is not part of that promised line. He is not the promised child. And Abraham has been living with that for the last 14 years. And, you know, as we go through the book of Genesis from time to time, I will go forward and see, hey, is there a reference to this, to Hagar, to Ishmael um, in the New Testament? And there is. In the book of Galatians, it talks about Hagar and Ishmael. And in the book of Galatians, the meaning of Ishmael is he represents the kind of rebelliousness of Jerusalem. And he represents life under the law, under this covenant of rules and regulations. And what one of the messages that Paul gives in the book of Galatians about Hagar and about um, Ishmael is that this is not the way the people of God are supposed to live. This is outside the promise of God. And so there's a reality of that in the way that Sarah is talking. She's, she's, she's saying a prophecy. She's repeating the prophecy about Ishmael and saying, there's no way this son can live alongside my son. And then I want you to notice in verse 11, it says, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. It says displeasing. And the Bible doesn't use emotion words that often, probably not as often as we do today. So when it does, it's important to take notice of it. When it says that Abraham it was displeasing to Abraham, it means he was upset, probably saddened. There's probably some anger as well. He does not want to say goodbye to his son. He's lived with him for the last 14 years. He's developed an attachment to him, which he should as a father. And so I want you to notice what God says. He says, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. So he tells him to change his emotional state, but he tells him why. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And then he gives a promise. He repeats the promise about Ishmael. But I want to take a minute and I want to talk about like what, what does Ishmael represent for us? What does Ishmael represent for us? And what I mean by that is oftentimes within the Christian life, we have this conception that in order for us to receive something good, we have to get rid of something evil or something lesser. In order for us to receive what is best, we have to get rid of the lesser good. But I want you to notice here that in the case of Ishmael and Isaac, God gives Isaac first. And then Abraham has to realize, I have to, I have to surrender Ishmael. And so I wonder if Ishmael represents 
perhaps not sin. It's easy to look at him as some kind of sinful behavior. Perhaps Ishmael, you know, he could represent some kind of sinful behavior or habit or type of thinking that we've held on to for years. Okay, it's possible that he represents that. But I would also say that perhaps Ishmael represents a pattern or thought that has helped you survive or helped you thrive for the past years or decades. But at, in this new season where God has given you something good, there is no longer space for that habit of survival. You have to let, you have to surrender that habit in order to fully receive what God wants to give you. And not, not in order to, I should say, but in order to fully appreciate and enjoy what God has given you because God gives it. Remember, God gives Isaac and then realizes he has to get rid of Ishmael. So I wanted to give a couple examples um, of what that might look like. Okay. And so I think uh, one thing, one, one example I would give is I've dreamed about planting a church and, and received that calling for, for decades. And along those, those times of being in ministry, one luxury or pattern um, that I've been able to enjoy is that there's always been someone above me. Okay. There's always been someone else who is ultimately in charge. And so the, the luxury of that is when something goes wrong, I can always go, well, it was so-and-so's fault or it's so-and-so's responsibility. I have the luxury of being able to blame someone else above me. And as God has given this gift of Quicksilver Church, I have to surrender. I've had to surrender the luxury of being able to blame someone else, okay? Of being able to say it's someone else's fault or someone else's decision because it's no longer their decision. I mean, we do have some elders that uh, oversee from Garden City that oversee this, but ultimately it is, I make the proposal. I start the decision process. And so I have to give up. I've surrendered that luxury. And so I would wonder, I would ask you to consider what good things, what, what, what are the best things God has given you? But in order to fully receive them, you have to, you have to make room and you make room by surrendering on what is something good in order to have room for what is best. And so let me give one more example. Maybe this is, this is too literal, but it relates to our kids. And I think I can say this because they're older now. Um, when our kids were really young, like one or two years old, they would have, uh, well, I'll start with Caleb. When he was really young, like one or two years old, um, they would have, you know, it's occasional nightmares or night terrors and then come over to our room and join and, and join us in our bed. Okay. And so I, that drove me crazy. I hated it. I hated it, but I didn't have a good way for, to get rid of them. But actually there was a great way. We had another kid. Okay. And so what happened is once we had Micah, you know, when Caleb was two and a half, then Caleb could no longer come over because we had Micah in our room. And then Micah was two and then Abby came in and we, he got kicked out, right? Um, and then Abby came in and then Elliot came over and then El Abby got kicked out, right? And so you're wondering who's going to kick out Elliot. Well, that's kind of the problem. Uh, there's no one to, there was no one to kick him out. But the idea is the same, it's similar to Isaac and Ishmael. There's really room for one child in this family right now because of the dynamics between Hagar and Sarah. And so in order for Isaac to be able to survive and thrive, they need to make room. And so I, again, I want you to just ponder that. What are some things, what are some good things that you may need to get rid of in order to appreciate the gift that God has given you today? All right, my second point. This is in verse 15. Let's keep going. Verse 15. This is now Hagar having left, having been sent away. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes 
Then she went and sat down opposite him in a good way off, opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. I lost my place. For I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So as you continue to read through Genesis 21, notice there's two types of laughter. There's also two wells. There's two wells in this chapter. This is the first well. And notice where Hagar has sojourned. She is in the area of Beersheba, which is going to become important in the next part of this chapter. The other thing I want you to notice is that Hagar is going through her own emotional turmoil. She is afraid and she is troubled and her child is troubled. Now he's 14 and it sounds like he's like four, but she's, he's 14 and it says she put the child under one of the bushes. So it's possible for teenagers to be whiny and, and crying, just, just so you know. Um, and so she deposits him under the bushes and he's crying and God hears the voice of this boy crying and God responds. And again, God also tells Hagar not to fear. So he tells Abraham not to be displeased. He tells Hagar not to fear. And then he reminds her of the promise he's made about Ishmael. And then he opens her eyes so that she sees the well. And so I mentioned God gives us the long-term consequences of our, of our decisions, including decisions that aren't great. Okay, including decisions that aren't great. And yet what God also does is he's able to use our surrender. When we're able to surrender our, our decisions, he provides for the people that get left behind, that have to be sent away. And so um, Hagar has been provided for and Ishmael have been provided for up to this point in the presence of Abraham. And now what God has told Abraham is, you know what? Even apart from you, even if you send her away, I will continue to provide and I will provide through this well. And so this well is going to represent a couple different things. Okay, it, rep it represents, or it is itself sustenance. Immediately, she receives water, or I should say Ishmael receives water immediately. And this well is also a sign of promise. It's a reminder that God has been moving throughout the past, and then God will continue to move in the future. But it's also a, a sign that God has a heart for those who are adjacent to his promises. And in the future, in the New Testament, there will be another well that a Samaritan woman comes to. And it's also a sign that God wants to bless, ultimately wants to bless all the nations because she's willing to, he's willing to bless this Egyptian woman and her son. My last point, I'm gonna read this last section. This is Genesis 21, 22 to the end of the chapter. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me 
here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So here we have introduced the second well. We also have the same region in which Hagar and Ishmael was wandering, Beersheba. And it's also kind of weird chronologically, right? Because it says Hagar was wandering with Ishmael in Beersheba before Beersheba was named. But that, that kind of thing happens throughout Genesis where the chronology gets a, little, uh, gets a little funny because it's told in retrospect. And then I want you to notice again, there's something coming up from the past. Abimelech is the same Philistine king that captured Sarah and where Ab Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister. Well, not completely, partially lied about Sarah being his sister, like a half lie. Um, and then also um, the wombs of all the women in Abimelech's household were closed up. And then Abraham intercedes on their behalf to bless them. And so the first thing I want you to notice is that uh, the Philistines, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of this army, are looking for the blessing of Abraham. Before they kind of stumbled or Abraham kind of stumbled into it. And as a result, Abimelech was cursed. And now Abraham, well, uh, Abimelech realizes that something different, there's something different about Abraham. And it says specifically, God is with you in all that you do. And so I wonder if Abimelech has this idea, if you can't beat him, join him, right? I, I cannot defeat Abraham because the, the second I do anything to him, really messed up things happen to my household. And so he decides, if I can't beat him, then I'll join him. And he wants a pact. He wants a covenant to be made with Abraham. And that's what Abraham does. And yet in the process, you see that there's a little bit of conflict because Abimelech's men take over this well that Abraham has dug. And at this point, you can wonder, well, you know, Abraham can just give it up, but he doesn't. He doesn't give up the well. He does not relinquish the well. He's like, no, you know what? This well is mine. I dug this well and this well is important to me. And it's not exactly clear why it's important. But if you look at this well through the lens of what we've talked about, that it's a well of sustenance and it's a well of promise and it's a well of blessing. Okay. It's a well of promise and provision. That's what this well represents. So that in, same, in the same way that the well represented promise and provision for Hagar and Ishmael, it means the same thing for Abraham. It's, the well is a sign of promise and a sign of provision. And so uh, 
you know, Abraham is willing to kind of fight over, not fight over it, but he's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you these seven lambs. This is, this is precious to him. I'm going to give you seven because this is meaningful. The well is meaningful to him. And I will make an agreement with you. And I want you to acknowledge that I dug this well because this well is important to me. And Abimelech's like, yeah, he's kind of like, whatever, you know, that's fine. You know, he's, he, he agrees. And they make this covenant. And it's a covenant of peace. Right? It's a covenant of peace. And so what, is this, what does this mean? Well, first of all, we know in the future that the Philistines do have conflict with the Israelites. So be, just because there's peace now, it doesn't mean there's perpetual peace, right? There is going to be future conflict between Israel and the Philistines. Number one. Number two, this well that he has, it is a sign of God's prov- promise because God has promised to give Israel this land, to, to give Abraham this land. And in the future, God will give Beersheba, this whole area, to Abraham. But for now, it's kind of a placeholder, right? This well is kind of a placeholder to show, like, this is God's territory. And so then the question is, what then does the well represent for us? Okay, and throughout Scripture, you have all kinds of water imagery, right? Um, and, this, and, and in John chapter 4, what I was alluding to earlier, you have this image of the well being the spring of uh, eternal life flowing. And so it's not too far to say that this well represents Jesus. Okay. The well represents Jesus, or, or maybe another way to put it, the well represents the word of God, because that is the sustenance of God. Like God sustains and gives life through his word. And it's also the source of eternal life. And this well also represents, because he, because Abraham then calls on the name of the Lord at this well. He calls on the name of the on the name of the Lord And so the way to think about a well is not only is it a sign of God's promise and provision, but it also represents heaven coming to earth. This is the point that heaven comes to earth because it's at that point, Abraham plants a tree and he calls in the name of the Lord because that's where he hears from. And from that radiates outward this peace. Okay, so what does this mean for us? How does this this translate for us today? We have been given Jesus through his word. And one of our uh, responsibilities in giving out this word of God is recognizing the power, the provision that is, implic- that is inherent within it. And so we've been, part of, we've been doing Alpha now for three weeks, this, uh, this course where we watch videos and then have a discussion with people who are either new to Christianity or, or just exploring and wanting to find more about it. And this past week, uh, the video we watched um, had a guy talk about forgiveness and how he experienced the forgiveness from the cross. And as I was watching the video, I was, uh, I was frankly, like deeply unimpressed. I was deeply, deeply unimpressed by the video. I was really distracted by this guy's hair. Okay, the guy's hair was just kind of funny and it was really distracting to me. Um, but this man was speaking the word of God. He was speaking the word of God. And then after the video, one of the guys commented, who I don't think is a, is a believer, and he just said, hey, um, were you guys crying or was I the only one? <laughs> And he kept his camera on during the, during, the, uh, during the video. And so you could tell he was crying. Like someone would comment to like, so-and-so was crying. Um, and I just thought, wow, like the word of God has power and it has power completely apart from anything that I do. Like you can just give someone or people can discover, can discover a well and it can provide sustenance. It can provide promise. It can provide uh, provision. It, can, it gives provision in that moment. And it's totally apart from anything that we do. And that is the power of the word of God. And yet even with us too, it is a promise and a provision. And so God is willing to use the different circumstances of our lives 
including even putting us away from something to show his promise and provision. And the last thing I want to show is God says to Abraham and to Hagar, you know, be not displeased and do not fear, right? Fear not. He says, be not displeased to Abraham. He says, fear not. And sometimes I think, I think we get a little upset that God says these kind of platitudes, that God makes this very simple imperative. But notice God rarely says that in isolation. Okay, he says, be not displeased because I have made a promise. I have made a promise to provide for your son. He's going to become a great nation. And he says that twice. He also says to Hagar, I have heard your son. And so when God deals with our emotions, okay, when we talk about the well, he is addressing the, the need behind the emotion. Okay, because the reason Abraham is displeased is because he doesn't know what's going to happen with his son. And the reason Hagar is um, afraid is she doesn't know her son's future. She doesn't know what's going to provide. And God allows us to not be displeased or not fear because of some specific provision that he's giving. So we're able to handle our emotions because he is able to provide for that specific area. And so fear is going to be this natural instinctive aspect to this book of Genesis. Fear has been throughout this book. And yet God is saying, there are specific things you do not have to be afraid of. And being provided for is one of the things you do not have to be afraid of because my promise, the well sustains you. And so the question for our sharing today is how has God, has, how has God been revealing to you his promises and his provision? That's what I ask you to think about. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the promise and provision you've revealed through your son, Jesus Christ, that he is the well. He is the spring of eternal life, welling up to eternal life, and that through him we have life. So thank you that you can use us apart from our own presence. You can, you can send people away and they can find a well um, because of your promises. And thank you that you provide wells for us through your word. And so, Lord, would, we, would you open our eyes to the, wells, to the well around us that you promise and you provide in unexpected ways? We pray this in your name. Amen.